are Seraphim. Welcome to the latest episode of Generation Space, the podcast by Seraphim. Today we'll be finding out how Seraphim finds and invests into world-leading space companies. Space investment is a rapidly growing sector that has caught the attention of investors worldwide. As technology continues to advance, the space industry has evolved beyond government-funded programs and is now a thriving commercial industry. The opportunities in space investment are vast, disrupting almost every industry on our planet. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Maureen Haverty, Investment Vice President of Seraphim Space. She has a wealth of experience in understanding what it takes to invest in successful space companies, having worked as COO for Apollo Fusion and as a Senior Director of Corporate Development at Astra. Hi Maureen, you've met Maureen before. Hi Leah, thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining me today. I'm also joined by Rob Desborough, Managing Partner and CEO of the Seraphim Space Accelerator. He holds over 20 years of venture capital experience in the space sector and currently oversees Seraphim's Global Accelerator programs. Hi Rob. Hi Leah, great to be here. Hi Rob, thank you for joining me. Let's go straight into the questions today. Maureen, I'll go to you. Firstly, can you let us know how the space industry has changed over recent years? There are new sectors emerging all the time. What does this mean for the growing space tech investment opportunities? Yeah, it's absolutely true that there's lots of new sectors coming on all the time. I think there's two things to consider. First of all, new sectors that are starting to emerge. We've really seen in the last year an increased interest in the in-space economy. That's because we're on that exponential curve for a number of satellites in orbit. So there are lots of startups that are very successfully focused on servicing all those satellites. And then also there's opportunities in space stations, in free flyers and returns, in lunar now. So that's a really emerging area that's really quite high tech. You also have a lot of product companies, which are companies that are using space data, which has been generated over the last number of years with a number of very successful startups building products around that. So we see a lot of climate-related companies looking at carbon credits, carbon monitoring, testing the resiliency of your asset portfolio against climate change. So lots of interesting activity there. And we still have a lot of sectors where no clear winner has yet emerged. There's still actually, we're really unsure who's going to win out in that market. And a key example of that for me would be satellite to sell, where we see a lot of companies in that area just because it's such a huge market opportunity. And this is something that you've put together in our space tech ecosystem map? Yeah, so we looked at the in-space economy for one of our recent ecosystem maps, and I think it was really interesting to see how there are a lot of startups working in the area, but there's also actually a lot of the really established players, SpaceX, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, And to me, that's really an an indication of how large the market opportunity is there. Like none of those companies get out of bed for less than, you know, several hundred million dollars. So the fact that they're investing heavily, you know, their own internal budgets and the fact that they're even just devoting team time to try and win those contracts really indicates that they see huge opportunity there. Great. Thanks, Maureen. And our listeners can keep up to date on this data in the research section on our website. At Seraphim, how do you evaluate the potential risks and rewards of investing in space tech companies? What makes a space tech company stand out to you as as a good investment? Yeah, I think the key risk that you're always looking at with any startup is, do you believe this team can do what they say they can do? And that usually consists of two things. Can they actually achieve the technical progress that they claim they will? And also, can they win customers? You know, companies make lots of claims around the size of the market, make lots of claims around the kind of customers they're going to win and what the size of the contracts are. And ultimately, we're trying to gauge whether we actually believe they can do that. And then the reward, obviously, is potentially enormous revenue. So we're looking for very large markets. 
personally what I look for when I'm considering risk and your ability to do what you say you're going to do it's all about the team it's ultimately about the CEO founder and the team they've surrounded themselves with are they credible can they sell and often a really good gauge of whether we think a CEO can sell their product is whether they can sell the business by actually effectively fundraising so that's our one of our best proxies before they've actually got traction is what we think of the team. Rob let's go over to you The Seraphim Space Accelerator is the first of its kind. Can you talk about why you saw a need for such a vehicle and where you are with it today? Thank you, Leah. Absolutely. So at Seraphim, we've engaged with well over 7,000 space startups since 2016. And in our first year of operations, we engaged with 500 seed stage startups. And in many cases, we thought these were highly credible opportunities, but we didn't have a mechanism to engage with these companies. And we felt that the accelerator market wasn't really set up to meet the very specific needs of space tech startups. So we decided to build our own one. And often it was based on our experience of working with other accelerators where we felt that the quality wasn't potentially there in terms of the services being provided to the startups and a selection wasn't there to really drive investors to want to engage with these companies. So we launched the world's first space-focused accelerator program in 2018. It's a VC-led accelerator program, and it is there to drive companies towards accessing capital, accessing corporates, accessing space heritage, knowledge, and know-how. And we look to introduce companies to all the key stakeholders in the space tech ecosystem to genuinely accelerate their businesses. If we're to look at the portfolio across the accelerator, over 50% of the founders are PhD level astrophysicists, quantum scientists, engineers. So if you give those guys five minutes to pitch, you're going to get four minutes, 55 seconds of science. And it's our job to invert that, to help them better tell their story, to open up and access for capital markets. Ultimately, people invest into massive addressable market opportunities and great value propositions. They don't invest into fundamental science and technology. That just enables us to build really scalable businesses. Since 2018, we've had real success. We've now supported over 80 companies who've raised $265 million in pre-A stage funding from over 90 VC funds globally. So we like to think that we've genuinely helped not just accelerate those companies, but accelerate the market itself for early stage investment. And we've brought new investors into the market as well. Thanks, Rob. That really feeds into what Maureen was saying about investing in in people and in individuals. That sounds fantastic. Are there any particular success stories from the Accelerator program that you'd like to highlight? We love all of the alumni in the portfolio, but I think there's a couple that I would certainly highlight. And it's those where we've played, I like to think, an instrumental role in building those companies to be where they are today. Zona Space Systems is one I would highlight. So I met the founder at an event at the London Business School back in 2019. Brian was introduced to me as the guy with a crazy space startup, and I was introduced to him as the crazy space fund guy. And uh, so I asked him what his playbook was. He said, well, an autonomous future needs centimetre-level navigation. We are going to build the world's first GPS constellation in low Earth orbit. We're going to build 200 satellites to provide centimetre-level navigation servicing. And I asked Brian, so, you know, what's your heritage? Thinking he's quite young, doing his MBA. And he informed me that he was one of the people given 
the napkin by Elon Musk to design the propulsion systems for Falcon 9 and Falcon Heavy. So a hugely credible background there. And he assembled him and all his good friends from Stanford University. And they came on the accelerator on the basis that if we felt it was a fantastic idea, we would help him incorporate and he'd use the accelerator as a platform to grow the business. After the accelerator, they raised an initial million dollar round. We invested into that alongside of one of the PayPal founders. As we move forward to 2023, they already have their first satellite in orbit and they've raised over $30 million from leading VC funds globally. So a great example from our perspective of a company pre-inception off-market that we've dramatically supported over the last few years. What about you, Maureen? Anyone who really excited you? I think one that has done really well, particularly in the last year, is Constellar, which is one of our European accelerator companies. So they came through the accelerator a number of years ago. And the reason I find it really exciting is they've just raised a very large round because, you know, the team is great. What they're setting out to do is great. But it's interesting for me to see the change in the European ecosystem. You know, they're a European company raising a large round and actually they've got a lot of European investors in that round and that's really something that we're starting to see change over the last couple of years literally the last couple of years there's now actually quite a lot of European space investors or investors who are interested in investing in space so it's much easier for the great companies that Europe is producing to actually raise funds and we're also starting to see some more fundraising at growth for those European companies, which has definitely been a huge difficulty previously. Rob, perhaps you wouldn't mind explaining to the audience what Constellar are doing at the moment. Quite. Constellar are using infrared detection from space. So they're building a constellation of low-resolution thermal detectors, and they're also integrating hyperspectral sensor technology into that. And what they're looking to do is really provide very granular-level detail on crop yield and crop performance. So looking at water content within crops. This is a huge agricultural opportunity for them, and they're starting within the European market. Wow, that sounds fascinating. Thanks, Rob. What um, are some of the current challenges, Maureen, that space tech companies are facing in, in the current climate? I think definitely the largest challenge is fundraising. Rounds are taking longer to close. Companies are under pressure to bring down their valuations because public markets, the valuations have come down. There are fewer investors available, especially at the growth stage. So that's, it's just really a, ma- a major challenge. And with the rounds taking longer to close and fewer investors involved, there's less of the FOMO, which can normally kind of force a round to close quickly. So it's really hard for startups because ideally they want to get their round closed quickly and get back to actually running their business. So that's definitely a challenge. More so at growth stage rather than seed stage, you still think there's funding available at seed. So that is a real difficulty for startups. Something that I think might have been an issue, but we actually haven't seen it that much is business development. So there's definitely a concern that as everyone tightens their belts, companies are going to be slower to award contracts. And that could be very challenging for some startups who are reliant on those contracts. We haven't really seen that so much. In fact, I would say that amongst the higher quality companies, we've actually seen business development really going quite well. And that's probably going to be the real difference between what makes the winners and losers in the next couple of years 
is that companies have really spent the last 18 months focusing, okay, how do I close contracts? What's my business development strategy? Who are my customers? And the winners really have got that nailed down pretty much. So companies are starting to struggle with that. That could be an indication of poor health of the company. Anything you've seen, Rob? Yes, I think we tend to see at the late seed stage and series A rounds when people are really looking to scale up the engineering team, we're tending to see a struggle to attract really good talent. I think it's a highly competitive market out there for engineering talent, particularly in the Bay Area. So quite often we're looking at companies relocating to other areas in the U.S., or looking outside of the US market for talent as well. So talent is definitely a bit of a bottleneck. Let's talk a little bit more about the Seraphim investment process. How do you find the best companies to invest in? It tends to vary based on the stage we're looking at. So Seraphim, we invest, you know, seed up to pre-IPO, and then obviously there's the accelerator for some of the pre-seed deals. You know, the earlier stage the company is, you know, seed stage, I would say it's mostly cold call, as in we're known as you know one of the world's biggest space investors. So most people who are raising at seed stage will contact us. And you know the first thing to, for everyone to know is if you email us, you go into our deals process and we give you a fair chance. So we source a lot through that. We also do market deep dives. So we decide on what sector we want to invest in. And we actively go searching for all the startups in that area and we will reach out to them. And then obviously we do a huge amount of sourcing from our network, both from our current portfolio CEOs, from our wider space industry network, from our wider VC network. So there's a lot of referrals process going on. And, you know, the more established you become, we probably know about you already. You know, we would have a lot of later stage, growth stage companies that we've tracked for a number of years that we know what's going on. And then, you know, it's just a case of when they come to us for fundraising. And probably fed through the accelerator. as, as, uh, as Absolutely. Rob and, you know, we, earlier. I'm sure Rob will be able to talk about it, but we often invest in accelerator companies who come back to us. Yeah, great. Thank you. Rob, what about co-investing? How do we work with other VCs and other investors in the market? Well, I think the key thing to note here is we've been building a huge network over the last seven years since we launched the fund back in 2016. And we've invested a lot of time into working with other VC funds globally. And these are VC funds who aren't necessarily specifically looking at space, but it falls within a deep tech or a frontier technology strategy. And they're looking to build their thesis around space. So we often support those funds in that journey over the last few years and when they look at space deals they might love a deal because they love the people behind the deal they've worked with people before and they'll look to approach us to come in as that sector specialist and we're increasingly seeing this kind of syndication within all of our deals where we're playing that role as the space specialist but we're investing alongside of an impact investor an insure tech investor an ag tech investor a defense and intelligence investor so we're hopefully the go-to space fund for people who are pulling together an investment and often they're the highest quality deals we're seeing and I think the last thing to remember as well is that you know we've built this huge network we're actively supported by the likes of European Space Agency UK Space Agency and they're looking to bring us opportunities as well they may be investing via grants or potentially even equity in the future so again they're looking to leverage our expertise Thanks, Rob. Let's go back to talk about sectors. 
What sectors are Seraphim most interested in or excited about at the moment and going forward? So the satellite to cell that I mentioned earlier, I think that's a really interesting area. We've had announcements from SpaceX, from Apple, from Iridium, from Qualcomm. You know, this is going to be a key area of of real competition amongst mobile phone manufacturers and mobile phone operators over the next couple of years. So we're going to see a lot of startups working on this and even some more established space companies working on this. So definitely very interested in investing in that. And I, I really spend a lot of time searching in that area and diligencing in that area. And what, sorry, what is that exactly? Sat- that oh, satellite to sell. So basically there's new changes in the standards for how mobile phones operate, which means that normal mobile phones will be able to talk directly to satellites in orbit satellites are effectively going to be just another cell tower in the network that means that mobile phones won't be out of coverage anymore this is how apple is running its sos feature and it's going to have more features coming online so i mean that's going to be a huge source of competition between let's say apple and samsung who have not really made much of a an announcement here pixel so there's going to be, you know, huge competition, I think, in that area. And for me, that's really exciting because, I mean, you know, mobile phones are one of probably the most competitive technology areas in the world. So the fact that they'll be driving this demand for the satellite technology, I think, could be really exciting. Right. I think something that everyday people can really understand as well and really see the use case. For. Absolutely. Yeah. So the idea is that there will be a point where you will be able to message via WhatsApp, via just texting, anywhere you won't have any coverage black spots amazing thank you and, and rob anything that's exciting you at the moment that you're interested in or that what's seraphim looking at i think there's a significant opportunity now around utilizing microgravity as an area for us to look at how we can develop pharmaceuticals within that environment new materials manufacturing processes so that's a really interesting area for us And I think even from a UK perspective, we've got a massive life sciences industry here. How can we utilize that opportunity now in space as well? So I think that's going to be a big play in the uh, coming years. Exciting. Thank you. What about geographies? Are you monitoring any new or emerging markets, Rob? We are all the time. From day one, Seraphim has been a global investor. And if we look at the portfolio today, it's about a third is in the US, a third is in Europe, rest of the world. So we've been early investors into India and Japan as well, and a third is in the UK. If we look at the accelerator, then we've supported companies across, I think, 25 countries globally. We're seeing Asia as being one of the fastest growing space investment marketplaces at the moment. And that's actually influencing our own deployments as well. So we've launched the accelerator from a fund in San Francisco last year. And then this year, we're looking to launch in Singapore to support the Asia Pacific region, where we're increasingly seeing deal flow at the moment. So space is now very much global. And, you know, we're looking at companies everywhere. And for me, it's really exciting to, on the accelerator, have our first African company as well. Brilliant. Thank you. What about trends, Maureen? What trends do you think you'll see in the space investment landscape over the next coming months and and even years? I think there's a lot of exciting stuff going on. I think we're going to see more and more seed. We've seen that grow every year. And even with very significant you know, market shocks this year, there's still more and more of companies being formed and more investing going on there. So I think that's more or less a given. Based on what we've seen so far this year, I'm hopeful that we will see more and more growth investing in Europe. I mentioned you know, there's an increased risk tolerance for growth investors in Europe for things like space. And I hope that trend continues. 
I think it's likely to do so because of that focus on European space sovereignty that we've seen, which encourages investors in. The thing that I'm I'm curious to see how it plays out is what's going to happen with mega rounds. So mega rounds are, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, a billion dollar rounds, you know, the kind that of rounds at Sierra Space, SpaceX, OneWeb raised, particularly in 2021. We really didn't see any of those in 2022, and we haven't seen any so far in 2023. And the key issue is, will those come back? For that to happen, we either need to have a really significant improvement improvement in the overall economy, which, you know, encourages everyone to invest, or I think it will probably be sovereign wealth fund generated either direct investments participating in those very large rounds or sovereign wealth funds as LPs in, in VC funds to go after those big rounds. Interesting. So let's see what happens there. And Rob, have you got anything to add? Yes, I think it's going to be really interesting if we look at some of the very big sources of capital coming on the market over the next year. In many cases, they're driven by interest in dual-use capabilities. And NATO has launched their 1 billion euro innovation fund, and they're looking to do direct investments and also investments into funds. So I think that's going to be a very important initiative for space tech, particularly within a European context. Finally, where do you see Seraphim and SSIT in the next 10 years? What does the future hold? Well, I think there's general consensus now that we're building a trillion dollar economy over the coming years. And from our perspective, we identified the opportunity to finance that economy several years ago now. For us, it's just expanding what we do to really do that. And for me, there's some really interesting stats out there at the moment. I think there's nearly 80 countries globally who have declared that they either are running or are about to launch a space agency. That's grown by 4x literally over the last five years and only 20% of those companies actually have any space capability in terms of launch capability. So we're seeing countries moving rapidly into this area because they've recognised the economic opportunity that this can bring them. So from our perspective, I think there's no better time to be in space. We've all got something to really head towards in terms of that trillion dollar economy and what it can do for us terrestrially as well. And it's great to see that nations are coming behind that. Exciting stuff. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rob. And thanks, Maureen. You've been listening to Generation Space Podcast. Hit the subscribe button on your podcast platform to get the next episode as soon as they drop. We are Seraphim.